Hello. <laughs> Did you hear the toilet flush? I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, I'm on my That's phone good. right now. What? Where's everyone else? Uh, not here. Are we just gonna keep that? Let's keep that. I think that's funny. <laughs> Hell yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, you want to start recording now? Because I feel like, like there's so much stuff to talk about with this. We could go on for like three hours, literally. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, I guess. Yeah, this is the Best Words Podcast, episode 11. Um, it's me, Amanda, so far. Um, I guess let's start off our first segment, Dumb Things That We See on Social Media, because that seems to be uh, some of our best content. And oh, we, wait, we just before woke up, we so. start, okay, it, mm-hmm. it, is, it is June 4th. You know what day? Oh, yeah. It's yeah. an important day to not forget. I mean, I mean, uh, well, yeah. Let, let me let me see what happened on June fourth, because yeah, that's so many in history. Uh, June fourth, not nineteen eighty nine. Nothing happened that day, you know. Um, <laughs> what happened? What happened on June fourth? You know, <laughs> great upheaval. New, great upheaval. New England planters arrived to claim land in Nova Scotia, Canada, taken from Acadians. Nineteen forty, British complete the miracle of Dunkirk by evacuating four hundred thousand Allied troops from France. Nineteen forty-five, U.S., Soviet Union, Britain, and France agree to divide up Germany. Yeah, so many, so many important things happened on June fourth. Just nothing in China, you know, nothing happened. Not at all. Um, yeah, yeah. no. But speaking of 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 nothing that happened, um, there is a candlelight vigil that's held in Hong Kong every year. Um. Which is canceled. Yeah, but everyone fucking cancel culture, man. People are doing it on. I mean, it's because of the pandemic, which I think is responsible. But like, people are doing it be, like at home. Um, people are. I mean, maybe the pandemic is an excuse, it. but like. I mean, I don't know. Like quarantining in Hong Kong as a like a thing is like pretty strict. I, I think like it's pretty like strict position. Like people mm-hmm. are like, yeah, stay home wear a mask i don't know like when the pandemic started everyone was just immediately wearing masks even when you're like mm-hmm. sick normally like when you have a cold and you're out on the you street wear you'll wear a fucking mask so i yeah. yeah so that's like a pretty normal thing so i feel like you know yeah uh, it's unfortunate that people we can't like have it seen on the street by like a drone camera with like two million people or whatever mm-hmm. but you know you there, Sekile? Yeah. Hey, what's up, yes. guys? Hey. All right. Yeah, this is my friend Sekile. He hasn't done the podcast before, but I guess this is the first episode. So, um, yeah. So yeah. So we were, um, yeah, we are going to start with dumb things we've seen on social media, and that's. I think that's got to be. Uh, we could talk about that for an hour, but um. So I guess uh, how about. I don't know who, who wants to start. Probably start with like, where are we situated? Like, where are we? Um, I mean, I'm in Michigan, and you guys are in Rochester, yeah. so um, I moved off campus. I live in the middle of like Center City. Oh, I'm in Michigan, so outer suburbs of Detroit. So, it, at first there was pretty much nothing by me, but um, now people are starting to go to protests in like um 
Yeah, in the northern suburbs where I am. So, like, there's some that are starting, but they started right. out in Detroit. So, it's, like, expanded geographically? Yeah, pretty much. But also, um, judging by, like, who was in the protest in Detroit, it should have just started here in the beginning. <laughs> like, of the people who were arrested over the weekend, um, from what I've seen, they were between like 60 and 80 percent white when detroit is literally 80 percent white (laughs) so like people yeah so like people were like driving or taking the bus or whatever to detroit like either to protest or like to like do things that are going to get them arrested so like tagging buildings i saw like some people throwing rocks and then i guess that brings me to like the first um Thing I wanted to talk about, which is like how how different these protests are from like the last real analog they had in like the sixties, and um, and then how like people are still using like dumb analogies from the sixties to talk about these things, which just doesn't make any sense anymore. So um, for example, um, Martin Martin Luther King the third. He was, like, going all in on, like, the riots or the language of the unheard, you know, like, peaceful protest has pretty much failed, which, like, you can disagree or disagree with that, but um, what I think is funny is that, like, that's pretty much the opposite of what Martin Luther King was, like, trying to push in the 60s, right, where he was the peaceful side of the protests for civil rights, and, like, Malcolm X was the more so, violent so, side, right? Like, he thought that you needed to... So hmm? here's... Okay, this is part of the, the paper that I'm writing right now, um, which maybe could be published, mm-hmm. but, you know, I've been fucking saying that about, like, my past two papers, and that's gone nowhere. But, so, mm. so when we look at, uh. the, like, the way that history has been told, history has actually been so distorted by public schools and textbooks mm-hmm. and other forms of... Like, um... Sorry. Is that you, Mike? What the fuck? I don't know what that was. Um, so ideological. Sorry, I just, I just nope. Okay, yeah, keep going. Phone wasn't loud enough. So. Oh yeah, no worries. Oh okay. okay. So so I'm writing this paper about the historiography of the civil rights movement, and first, like historiography is about like mm-hmm. generally speaking, how is history told? What is history actually? Um, versus like what it gets mm-hmm. worked into, what it gets told. Because when you choose to tell a story a certain way, that in of itself is a rhetorical decision. Um, so what we have actually mm-hmm. is as we like, you know, exit the 60s and enter the 70s, enter the 80s, post-Cold War, you start having like narratives about how MLK and Malcolm X were, you know, contrary to one another. They were opposites, but they really weren't. They were mm-hmm. contemporaries. They worked together. Um, and even like, you know. No, I, w- I wasn't saying I wasn't saying they weren't working together. I was saying that they were using different tactics. Right. right? So, but OK, so towards the end of MLK's life, you see him kind of like move towards turning to Malcolm's position so he like starts starts like talking about like not just like oh we must be peaceful and like advocate for our our Mm -hmm. civil liberties but also our economic liberties our freedom to be you know not in constant poverty due to the government not in constant fear due to the government like these are sort of things that happen yeah he also yeah, he also became like really right. anti-war. Right, so that was like all of the anti-Vietnam stuff, right? He was he was like literally a mm-hmm. communist, but like not in like a not yeah. in like a, I'm a Republican accusing someone of being a communist, but like 
that was the ideology. It was like Marxist ideology saying that like no, like the working class or, is class or at least like hmm? class solidarity. Yeah, or I mean, I don't know. Was wasn't you talking more about like social democracy or democratic socialism though, in terms of like universal basic income? I think he he was in favor of um, like the poor people's campaign. Um, I guess I don't know what like policies that was specifically aiming for, but I mean the rhetoric seems more like not really Marxist, but more social democracy. Um, or, or am I sure, wrong? I think social democracy is like founded on a phys- philosophical basis of Marxism. So like it's not actually like Marxist as we would think, like USSR or whatever, but like Marxist in the sense mm-hmm. that like in Marxism we there's a discussion of like the base and the superstructure of like this is what society is telling you this is what society actually is and it mm-hmm. is always in the interest of the powerful to keep you from understanding what real class solidarity is that's why when we think of like when we yeah, think about like fair. you know people are always just like oh yeah like get woke wake up all this shit it like maybe they don't know directly but this is basically saying like stop mm-hmm. looking at what the government is telling you to look at and start actually mm-hmm. looking at what's on the ground start looking mm-hmm. at why power wants to lie to you why the cops want to hide information <laughs> from you but more importantly why like fucking the government narrative and like the social narrative of like i guess like for example like uh let's talk about asians right like you know you have this model mm. yeah okay, about asians myth, right okay so people people <laughs> convince asians i'm asian so i can probably like you know you know I, it's, it's like it's a podcast you don't know okay. right but like look the model minority myth tells us that like okay cool you're close enough to whiteness where if you pretend to be white you know we're gonna give you rights and shit right so they gave us some rights but then Mm -hmm. we don't remember that like the reason why asian immigrants east asian and south asian immigrants are even allowed to be in the united states at all is because literally black people got up there and were like hey like you know these are refugees and they deserve entry in our country too. And, and like, that is the only reason, mm. or that is one of the biggest reasons why, like it was like the Black Panther Party and like all of that activism in the 60s yeah. is what got Asians like here in the first place. The model minority. Myth. That's, that's kind right. of ironic though. That's, that's kind of ironic, isn't it? Cause um, like a big part of why Asians are here, I would think like say Vietnamese refugees was because of anti-communism <laughs> essentially, where a lot of Republicans thought that if they let in, um, yeah, like refugees who are Asian from communist countries um, or from, I don't know, like South Korea, like anti-communist Asian countries, that those Asians was, would end up voting for them. And they were, they were right, at least in the first like few years or so. I don't think there's really much. Right. Yeah. I, but, um, I would say that historically, yeah. I think that changed. That was more of a narrative that justified after they allowed immigration. So what what happened was like so white people or not like politicians were like we don't want we don't want these people in our country mm-hmm. right Black Panther Party starts like protesting right we got like Pan Asian solidarity from all of the Asians that are already here and they're like no like these are refugees we have a moral obligation to take them into our country stuff like that okay cool and then we turn the tide in politics and then we have the narrative of like justification of like why it was good for them to begin with. Um, so, right, wait, so let me go mm-hmm. back to my original point. So, like, yeah, 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 the, original. Or, like, the way that we tell narratives is, like, one of the reasons why, uh, I guess, like, one of the reasons why I talk about Asians is, like, that basically when you convince Asians that they're close enough to whiteness, that they can just perform whiteness, they just end up oppressing Black people. Like, why? Because fucking, like, I don't know, mm-hmm. people are 
fucking racist. Right. Resentment. Resentment. But also, it strengthens this idea of like, you know, you gotta like push down other people who are also people of color in order to mm-hmm. advance yourself, right? right? Except that's totally not true. Mm-hmm. The only reason people think that, the well, the only reason Asians think that, um, is because they have been like basically brainwashed into thinking that somehow they can possibly be white. And it's like, that's, I don't know, have you like looked at yourself in the mirror recently? Do you look like a white person? <laughs> I don't think so. Like... <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. So any yeah, back to what I was talking about, like originally with like, yeah, like Martin Luther King and Malcolm. I, I just like thought it was ironic that like Martin Luther King the Third was embracing something more like Malcolm X would would talk about. And then in Detroit specifically, the um the Nation of Islam is still like they aren't like what they were in the '60s, but they're still a pretty significant political force. And they just had their convention in Detroit in like February. And they're apparently, like, fairly pro-DPD, essentially. Like, maybe not pro-police in the general sense of, like, the country, but they're at least, like, one of the, big- one of the biggest supporters of the Detroit Police Department, right? So it's almost like there's a, te- there's a tension between Martin Luther King and Malcolm, or at least, like, their modern descendants, but in the opposite way that this was framed in the 60s, right? Or, or that at least that it's framed in, like, public education in the way that people typically learn about the civil rights movement, right? And then... um. And that's just like one of the like the the like j- just one of the bad '60s analogies that I've seen that don't like map onto these protests at all. Like the the only like analog I really see is like, like the only analogy that really makes sense is the scale of the, these protests, which are like nationwide, which are probably at this point, if anything, bigger than the civil rights protests were, because these are happening in tiny little towns like Portland, Maine. I saw had a couple hundred people. Um, in like New York, New Jersey, these like all white suburbs have pretty massive protests, which is another big change from the sixties we can talk about. Yeah, where I am in Michigan, um, most of the protesters are white and there are protests in the outer suburbs where I live where um those are like very Republican, very white again. Um and like that's a big difference from the sixties when there was like there was like maybe twenty percent of white people were sympathetic enough to civil rights that they would actually fight for it. Um, but they were like a very distinct minority, right? Like Martin Luther King was very unpopular until the moment he died practically and then was pretty much made into a martyr. Um and framed as, yeah, like the civil rights leader that we see him today. Um, but yeah, like until that point, most white people either didn't like or actively hated Martin Luther, Martin Luther King because they were either like the white moderates he was talking about or they were just against civil rights again, right? Um, I guess that, that's another um, like thing from the civil rights era that I see not, not too many people talk about, but the, the whole thing about like the white moderate. I guess this is more like something I've seen in the last few years, not specifically the last week, but people talking about like, yeah, how Martin Luther King said that like the real enemy of civil rights wasn't the Klan member, wasn't the segregationist, it was the white moderate who was not not a racist, at least from what Martin Luther King was thinking, I think, but that they were not going to stand up for civil rights, they were just going to let black people be oppressed. And they weren't going to change anything, right? Like, that was the real enemy back in the 60s. And then today, it seems like that's almost flipped on its head where, like, white people are, like, far more, like, exercised about this, at least from what I see, than a lot of black people are, at least. Or maybe th- maybe this, like, depends by 
by your social circle. Maybe this depends on what where you are geographically. It's definitely true in Detroit, like like I was talking about, where most of the people arrested are white when Detroit is majority black or like like heavily majority black again. And then also from what I've seen in the protests in, in Detroit, like I guess this is another thing that changed from the 60s is like where the destruction is located. Like, yeah, back in the 60s, like Detroit was devastated by race riots um, and pretty much all the white people moved out because of that. Um, and then like today, Detroit has very, very mild damage from these riots. There was like one business that has had its windows broken by rocks. There were some people who were tagging buildings. And then um, the ironic thing is that the people who live in Detroit um, they were pr pretty much trying to stop these people from like destroying things. They were uh, there was like a Nike store in downtown Detroit, and they were trying to stop these white people from the suburbs from oh throwing God. rocks at it, because, yeah, yeah, like, and this this actually makes a lot of sense to me based on what I know about Detroit from when I worked there um, for the city council. Like people would bring up the riots, like a couple times when I worked there, pretty much. Um, like out of nowhere like people would talk about like what happened in the 60s what happened with the riots because it left such a deep scar on the city that people still remember what happened because it pretty much devastated the city again so like uh today it makes sense to me that people were trying to stop um like any rioting any looting any destruction from happening in detroit because they saw like what happened in the 60s they saw the consequences and they didn't want that to happen again so that's just no, another thing that changed from the 60s that people don't really seem to uh, recognize. Wait, so earlier you mentioned that Detroit was like majority, um, like percentage-wise yeah. majority black. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah 80%. So, wait, let me get this clear. So like you got you got 80% of the mm -hmm. city being black people, and then you have these white people from the suburbs mm -hmm. that comprise, what did you say, 60% of the yeah. arrests? They were that was the lower bound. It was up, to, yeah, sixty to eighty percent of the people arrested were white. Okay, so on the these day. white people are coming in from out of town or suburbs of Detroit, yeah. going into Detroit, into yeah, pri primarily like I guess like black neighborhoods and then black, smashing shit. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like that's kind of what was happening. Like the actual black people were trying to stop the like the rioting and looting from at least from the most part of what I saw. Yeah. All right. Interesting. That's kind of fucked up and bad. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, the, uh, yeah. I agree with Amanda. <laughs> fucked up and backwards and like every well, I mean, possible sort of. way that you could see it. Like it just, um, when you mm -hmm. have been oh, yeah. looking at like oh, yeah, how a lot of people, you know, like we hear about these white anarchists, we hear about these opportunists, mm -hmm. um, people who think that, you know, they can take advantage of protests. Uh, peaceful protests largely to like push the out on yeah. whatever agenda and, and things like that you know but agenda, i guess yeah. you know stuff like that happens but i just think that it should never sort of like distract from the fact that or, or like from the like the effectiveness of the protest because i've seen a lot of people make that sort of mm -hmm. like you know the subject of the of 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 the formula here and they say oh okay um what about those people who are you know, banning stuff, uh, burning stuff. What about the people yeah. who are like destroying businesses? What about, you know, like I, I was in a protest in Rochester last Saturday and, you know, it was clear mm -hmm. who were the instigators of the violence. Um, it was clear who were the people who started, you know, flipping cars over. It was clear um, when the people, yeah. when the people that the actual protesters were actually at the front lines of the public safety building, the people at the far back were starting this shit. And 
you know, once once someone mm -hmm. is once like the minority in the protest, like like the like a few people in the protest with whatever agenda I was trying to like flip a car over or like start everything most likely everybody else is going to think that oh so this is what we're doing and they're going to want to start joining and then it just becomes this whole thing of like mm -hmm. you know Looks right violent. so i just think that like just just to comment on the, the the conversation that has been had on social media about it i just think that mm -hmm. this is very distracting and it should never like distract us from um, the effectiveness of the protests, and you know, like 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 President Obama mm -hmm. said yesterday that you know this has been these kind of protests have been sort of unprecedented and and, and different from um, what was happening in the '60s in terms of like even the racial demographic yeah. of the people that were there. Like there, there were times in the protests where the the protest leaders were like, "White people, we need you to surround us. White people, we mm -hmm. need you to." Um, you know, be at the forefront here, and people were rushing to that. Like, no one was like complaining about it. No one was like, ah, mm -hmm. I don't think like white people. Like, you know, there were so many white people and people of other races other than black who were like really out there to be allies, to be like, you know, we are. We'd rather risk our lives for, um, you know, for for Black Lives Matter, and that was something that was very refreshing to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it, and it's like so different from the 60s when like the median white person didn't like Martin Luther King and thought that he was violent versus today when median white person either supports Black Lives Matter is going to a protest. And then like on the extreme end, there are a ton of white people who like they want to help so much that they're they basically end up not helping <laughs> yeah. in some way either like. Yeah, yeah, either like those people in Detroit who are white from the suburbs were coming in to smash it, which devastated Detroit again, which is why the black people were trying to stop them. Or yeah, like on social media, like from my perspective, over at least 90% of the people who are posting shit um, like a black place matter are like white people who um, are like upper middle class and highly educated. And I don't, I don't have like a ton of black friends, but of the ones that I have, not that many are posting about this at all. And of those that did, they only started um, like a few days ago once it was clear that um, like they weren't talking about it in the initial stages when it was just Minneapolis. They only started talking about it when it like started to hit Detroit and right, like, the yeah. rest of the country, um, I right? Think what's, what's interesting is that like yeah. when we talk about like allyship um, and I think this is really common mm -hmm. in the college community, just generally like in our age group, active on social media, whatever. We like really need to talk about like performative mm -hmm. allyship versus like action, right? So you end up yes. having people doing like, yes. something like <laughs> the squares. The squares. <laughs> which is interesting as a concept because like, you know, that was like started by I think two black men, but like not even for this particular time period. It was like a couple years ago. Right, mm. it was like basically just like let me mm. get out of like let's let's take a break first and then like and then for white people it was okay we want you to get out of the way but a blackout was never supposed to be I'm going to literally <laughs> this point, post yeah. a black square on Instagram it it was it it was and it that's was, it. no I'm gonna be quiet and listen and you know I think a part of that mm -hmm. is not telling the world, hey, I'm listening as a white person and, and I let me let me I'm I'm such an ally. Like I don't know, like like I think mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, literally it literally turned into the opposite of that where like white people were just basically hogging up the entire Instagram feed of everybody for a whole day. <laughs> and then on top of that, like 
uh, taking over the Black Lives Matter hashtag, which was being used right. to spread information, which that's a different thing I wanted to talk about um, in terms of strategy. But yeah, back to this, um, like white people were just taking up a ton of space that other people were using to actually spread information, donation links, all that kind of stuff about the protests, just to virtue signal, essentially. And to say like how, oh, we're, I'm so great. I support Black Lives Matter. Like, look at me when they are actually either not helping or actively setting back the cause. So let's talk about what we can do for the cause, I, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. I thought you were, you were going to oh, say yeah. something, Sakila. Um, so I think that, you know, opportunism, again, is something that should be looked mm-hmm. at um, sort of and examined in these kind of protests. Because, uh, like, at one hand, mm-hmm. I, I respect people who have, you know, been silent and sort of had conflict in terms of how to speak out and, how, and, and like, people who weren't sure about what to say or when to say it or how to express it. I've seen a lot of people who, start, who just started speaking out yesterday, for example, in my, in my social media um, timeline mm-hmm. and were like, yo, listen, like, I grew up in this kind of neighborhood, you know, I had very little exposure. I wanted to be apolitical, um, but now it's time to speak up, right? Total, total in support of those people. Mm-hmm. But um, when it comes to those, like, black screen stuff, I just got to say, bro, like, I mean, if you hadn't, if you hadn't been, like, <laughs> like, on this the whole week, bro, like, honestly, I was, like, hitting up my people, like, um, my, my, my friends, some of which are in student government, and I was like, yo, y'all better speak up, you know, like, I was, I, I posted something on, on, on Facebook about, you know, if, if you are a business person, if you are a pastor, if you're a teacher, and you have black students, you have black church members, you have just like, you know, you're, if you just are a leader and you're leading in some capacity, um, sort of like has black people mm-hmm. under it, you have a moral responsibility to talk. And and I don't, honestly, I don't, I don't give a damn about whether or not you're apolitical or you're going to, you know, um, apolitical or you don't offend people because I feel like that's where the problem starts, right? Like when the, the, the silence of the, the complicity of silence is, 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 is exactly that when people do not say anything, they allow, um, the opposite voice to reign and therefore they, they, they end up being, um, complicit in the issue. So the, the thing with, the thing with, um, mm-hmm. You know, black screens. I just felt like it was it was sort of blown out of proportion to the extent that a lot of people were using Black Lives Matter, drowning the actual information that people should be, you know, getting and stuff. And so, what was very impressive yeah. though was that you know I woke up in the morning and my explore screen was like black, like it was just black screens. Mm-hmm. But then you know during the day people, you know, started to like sort of reprimand these people like there were like comments on every single one of these black screens remove your remove the black the 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 hashtag blm um um, um thank you because yeah. it drowns the information and literally people were going off at this mm-hmm. like literally people were just watching out for black screens and whether or not they had like you know the hashtag and just telling them to take it hashtag. off and by the end of the yeah. day really like although there were still like you know black screens but like there was significantly less and that was very and that was something that was very commendable in terms of like you know strategies in social media um i want to say that if you're an ally if you are someone who really cares about this stuff and black and black screens was the one and only thing that you Mm -hmm. posted in your social media 
and because because then you know it it sort of like delivers people from from not saying anything it's kind of the thing that like you can it's just a screen you can post and and it says that it's supposed to talk for you right it's supposed to say something on your behalf when mm-hmm. you yourself aren't saying anything and i'm and, and in my personal opinion that's just not enough like just say something you you have to speak out like you know you there your friend you there's a lot of your friends who are, who are probably um who are probably not you know uh, um necessarily in support of the black lives matter or just like plainly racist and it takes all of us to 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 spread the word it takes all of us to really say something and declare a a solidarity to the movement um for actual change to actually happen Mm -hmm. i mean if anything like if you're talking about trying to convince actually racist people or maybe even just like normal trump supporters who I mean, that whether or not they're racist is a complicated question, but personally, I don't think that all of them are racist. But anyway, um, like th- those kinds of people, if they're seeing nothing but like black squares on their Instagram, if anything, I think that could be harmful to the cause because they can interpret that as um, like people are just doing this to virtue signal. They don't really give a shit about mm-hmm. black people. Um, so I shouldn't either because this is just a exactly. cloud chase. People should be able to say something. Of- yeah. Go ahead, Amanda. Uh, I think that you find a lot of, like, people who are, like, sort of racist or, like, largely lean conservative, even if they're not racist, really hate the virtue signaling Mm -hmm. of the left, right? So it's going to drive them further away. But I think something to note is that the difference between when, like, people of color post things or like even well i guess Mm. more specifically when black people post things versus like when white people post things especially if they like they're like white people who Mm -hmm. go to our college or go to a college and like you know grew up in some suburban like white neighborhood where they've never really had like any Mm -hmm. friends that are that don't look like them black friends you realize that like that's where that's where the posting actually like makes a large impact like it doesn't really make sense for like someone who has like you know you know let's say you have 100 facebook friends and they're all activists and you post like blm like yeah mm-hmm. we this is how we can like you know this is here's information about a protest like that's really important but you're not going to start those discussions that are going to make those white people who have never interacted with anything outside of their suburban ass neighborhood like like think about it mm-hmm. and that's that's where that's why white allyship is really important is because like i don't have the privilege of a white person right like and when you have white people talking to white people, they're going to, like, listen a lot better mm-hmm. than if, mm-hmm. like, you know, Sakile or myself, like, talk to, a, like, a white person that we've never interacted with. Like, we don't have that, mm-hmm. like, kinship or whatever. Or I, I feel like kinship's a weird word. Right. Cultural like, identifiers. I my Asian family. Like, I feel, I feel like if anything. Or I can talk mm-hmm. to, like, Keep fellow going. Asians and, like, my Asian family and be like, hi, let's talk yeah. about black people in America because this shit's fucked. And they're going to listen to me because they know that we understand the, the culture that's between us. Right? Like, we ha- like my brother and I are, mm-hmm. like, we had this really, like, difficult, <laughs> awkward conversation. Um, in, like, I think 2016 about how, like, you know, when, when Black Lives Matter was, like, starting to like when when it was like really big the first time we like sat down with our asian family and we were like hey like obviously speaking in chinese we were like hey like you know we think this is a really big Mm -hmm. problem and like we think that this is something that we're obligated to support what are your thoughts about it surprisingly my parents are really like well read on like colonialism in the global south in particular because like they like did business in south africa and stuff right but like what's really interesting is when they like Mm -hmm. talk to them talk to us about america they were just like this is why we didn't want to live in america is because it's so bad for for people of color and Mm -hmm. we were just like well like we're still american right like we're still we're still gonna go to college there like you know shouldn't we 
do something and my parents are often like you know stay out of trouble don't do whatever but i think this was like the one time they were like you know <laughs> like don't get arrested but like you know you're fighting the same thing that we fought when we immigrated Good in advice. Like the 70s right where, where like people were fucking racist mm-hmm. to to chinese people and like you know still racist to chinese people but like yeah like obviously it's like different and not as yeah uh, like not as yeah didn't like the history it, and legacy of slavery and l- the history and legacy of like police brutality and like this like conception of like, like thugs quote unquote right like yeah like, yeah like it just manifests in a totally different way especially today with like tom cotton that cotton. kind of thing hmm? he's the one who said that we should ban chinese grad students from studying oh, anything in stem yeah I'm surprised you haven't heard of that. Yeah, Tom. Tom. I guess for people listening, Tom Cotton is like um, one of the biggest China hawks. I guess you can say, but he's like, like I, I would consider myself a China hawk. Like I want to be tough on China. I think that um, they have global ambitions that I don't like. But anyway, he's like one of the people who is a China hawk who I don't like because he manifests we should be tough on China as we should be tough on Chinese people, <laughs> which is not <laughs> like totally counterproductive. But anyway. Um, yeah, like that would be the more modern manifestation of like anti-Chinese racism would is that like it's not exactly it's not really about like the other or like the like the Oriental. What, what is it like the yellow fever? What, what the fuck is it? Yellow um, peril. Anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yellow peril. It's, it, yellow peril. It's not like about that. It's like about China is like rising and to fight that we need to fight Chinese people, which like it's bad but it's like different and weird right and it's definitely like different from what black people face yeah (sighs) this country yeah back to um what i was thinking about like cultural identifiers um yeah i feel like if anything that's in my mind more important than race almost like like, of course, if, like, Sakile talks to a random Trump supporter, I doubt that he's going to convince him. But by the same token, I doubt that, like, 99% of the white people talking about this on social media could convince almost anybody. Because um, in my mind, it's almost not really about convincing people or, like, furthering the cause. It's just about, like, self-flagellation. And, like, by using self-flagellation to prove that you're more virtuous than other white people. Um, and you're trying to prove that to other right. it's white like people, people who are liberals, like, basically. So, like, one yeah, example is, it's like, oh, they they feel yeah, like yeah. guilty that they're white, so they're gonna tell all of their white friends that they feel yeah. guilty that they're white to somehow admonish themselves from actually doing anything. I I, I have to take yeah like, exactly. A, it's a like a combination of taking this one because mm-hmm. you know, I I don't really care about the intention of. Like I don't really care about the intention much because we you you'll you'll never know what the the the, uh, the real mm-hmm. intention is of like a white person, um being like you know being an ally or posting thousands of black screens or like speaking out right like I was talking to my friend so I was talking to my white friend about this, um she had um mm-hmm. a conflict sort of that she's you know she's very vocal on social media about Black Lives Matter and everything, like more more vocal than even most black people that I know right. And so she was kind of like mm-hmm. yeah, chastised yeah, by her white friends who were like, oh, you're doing this for clout. Um, you're doing this to be seen. Why are you posting pictures of yourself in like Black Lives Matter protests? Mm-hmm. And she was she was concerned. And I was like, listen, um, you know, only you know what you're doing. Like, 
like you know they can say whatever i can say whatever but like you know why you were in that protest you know why um you know and and no one is gonna fight you for that no one is gonna know if and if if your conscience if your conscience like agrees with you and if you don't feel like personal conflict if you're doing this for the right cause do it you know if you end up becoming a celebrity for black lives matter if you end up becoming this celebrity you know um, um activist who's white and so be it right that, that that's just going to be consequential and, and no one's going to judge you for that but mm-hmm. i do believe that when when yeah. when we have white allyship um allyship whether whether it's pretentious or not um it it it, it serves to get the message where it wouldn't otherwise get right when 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 that one white person talks about something um they're probably racist families going to know about it which probably they weren't going to they weren't going to that information wasn't going to get to the white family because they probably listened to fox news they probably had these like enclosed white supremacist circles mm-hmm. and like the word actually never gets to them right and so when you get white allies, when you get white allies who are the only people who can talk to their racist grandmoms their racist aunts, their racist uncles in their family. That's how, that's like at least a part of where this goes. That's that's like how word gets to those people in the first place. So it's in a sense, it's like for outreach. Um, and that's, and for that reason, yeah. I support it. Performative. Yeah. yeah um, I think I get that, but I guess what I'm saying is that the people who are doing like the most performative stuff, the most like clout chasing stuff, the like what I would call like a combination of white guilt and narcissism. I think that they're trying to do like allyship in a way that's basically either like counterproductive or actually destructive. Like for example, this is uh, one white person on my social media. Number four, we whites are riddled with racist tendencies, myself included. How could we not be? Our culture, media, neighbors, and family dynamics are overrun with them. Science proves, hello, implicit bias that we are filled with snap judgments about most people of color. We're programmed that way. It doesn't make you a bad person. Like that's that's gonna convince zero oh, white people who so, aren't already on the side so, of Black Lives Matter. Yeah, exactly. It's it's literally just the caricature of like it's the it's the Fox News caricature of like wild well meaning white liberals or like maybe even not well meaning but white liberals who are like self obsessed of self obsessed with Black Lives Matter you know, for reasons unrelated to black people. Like, right. Actually, let's not talk like, about it. I think about like my so I'm taking an op, like a class on music history and we talked about opera recently and the entire point of opera mm-hmm. is to be super dramatic. So I think about like someone like spotlight on them they're on a stage yeah, yeah. they sing their heart out and then they collapse to the floor and then they're like i am oppressed and it's like that's what it sounds like <laughs> i think it's i think in many ways as well it's it's an expression no no privilege, it's not right? like like you know when, it's when, like when when white people think that they, they should yeah, be at the, yeah, for, at the forefront and like fight for white people for black people you know and that that in itself is an mm-hmm. expression of privilege that like you're so used to being at the forefront of every single thing yeah. in the world that you know isn't some isn't going to be a missed opportunity for you that sounds like a colonialist mm-hmm. that sounds yeah, like and, a colonialist and like, and like these people of like mm-hmm. the white savior right like yeah, yeah. How do yeah? How did we not mention that by now? <laughs> yeah, it's like um, what was I gonna say? 
Um, yeah, it's like these people, they they like they might say like, oh, you need to read black people, you need to center black people, like blah, 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 whatever. But they like, a lot of them don't really mean that. And they really just want to be at the center of it. Because again, it's about, for them, it's about cloud. It's about virtue signaling. Yeah, it's, it's about like, pretending you know, that they're I better than other white people. List that you and got, that, like, you know, yeah. New Jim Crow, Virtue of the Earth. You got a bunch of Fanon on there. Have you read it? Have you... <laughs> Have you taken a class on it? Have you thought mm, about it? Mm, Have you mm-hmm. integrated it into your mm. actual life? Have you, you know, stood up and done like, you know, your research on what policies in your country need to change? What policies in your in your state, in your county? Uh, yeah, yeah, that too. For this coming election season, if you have the ability to vote, like stuff like that, it's like, are you going to vote for a progressive? Are you going to vote for someone who's about to dismantle? You know, or are you going to? Are you going to vote at all? Who, <laughs> this entire time not that mm-hmm. not that I, I i'm like saying anything about our incumbent but i'm just saying i'm quit who is oh you're talking about the the um, morelli in rochester i don't even know his name joe joe kennedy or something oh morelli yeah yeah he's um, only i mean he was only elected for like, like two years ago to, like, anyway through the policy yeah. i haven't fully done my research yet but we're yeah yeah, I mean, I mean, but like you've done way more than most people. Definitely, I think way more than that. That white person who was just posting about like how racist they are. Like, I think that actually posting about ways to reduce police brutality. Like, there was one graphic that showed like eight ways, and it's like about you know de-escalation, like disarming the police unless they actually need a gun, accountability for police officers, that kind of stuff, and it like reduced police violence by seventy-two percent or something. Like, I think that's like like an order order of magnitude or two, like more productive to discourse than posting about how racist you are because actually yeah. posting about actionable right. ways to reduce police violence like that's something that approves to most people right like most people don't like when they see a photo or like a video of a black person like getting killed by the police they don't like that they might think that like black lives matter are like crazy people which is not helped by people like that white person who thinks they're racist um but like if they if like what they're seeing is ways to reduce police violence and they're associating that with black lives matter like that's way more helpful than seeing white people confessing right. it's about like their put your money where your mouth guilt. is if you don't know what to yeah. say if you don't know what what to say at yeah least, exactly like i don't know if you have some money Donate to the ACLU. Donate uh-huh. to, to to whatever like bail fund exists. Donate mm-hmm. to bail reform. Donate to actual things. Like if you don't know what to say, that's also like, you know, not something that I'm gonna tell at you about. You know, like I think like there's a prerequisite level of like cultural understanding and like <laughs> reading. I guess like well, reading including like talking to people, right? Like that mm-hmm. you like have to have in order to be productive but what's always going to be productive is you know turning up and being like all right here's five, here's the five dollars in my pocket to this movement or to this organization that we know is doing mm-hmm. good systemically i think there are two kinds of like change right you have systemic change and you have change that's immediate right i think like a lot of anarchists are going to say like oh systemic change is garbage mm-hmm. because you know we need to burn down the whole system and while that's true that doesn't mean that <laughs> yeah <laughs> but then but then by burning down the system, you're you're basically like well, throwing okay, so rocks at shops that black people rely on. The system isn't like, <laughs> it's buildings, like how that manifests. Right? The system isn't it, it's the entire like thing that is mm-hmm. I guess like anarchists would say like capitalism is evil and should be taken down, right? But then it's also just like when you look at the legal system mm-hmm. and you sit and do your like, you know, your your critical legal studies reading, right, assigned to you by your your philosophy professor or whatever, you sit there and you read the goddamn sixty page reading that you were supposed to read in one night. <laughs> like, you know, you, you start understanding like 
what exactly about the system is actually fundamentally broken. Our entire basis for like anti-discrimination law isn't about systemic problems. It's about individual people being racist, right? This, this Mm -hmm. continues to establish this problem of like, like in the legal system specifically, like, like an entire structure of racism because we ignore the things that keep happening and happening we ignore like racist policy that's not explicitly racist right like the greatest thing the greatest thing about Mm -hmm. america is that like they innovate right it's also the worst thing about america right because racists are innovating ways in order to make the racism justifiable, right? We have the war on drugs as like a really important example. And then after yeah, the like war on cotton. drugs, you start having like this like law and order mm-hmm. sort of like rhetoric that's still being used today, right? People are saying, yeah, fuck these riots. They're not adhering to the social order. Mm-hmm. They're not, you know, this isn't legal. I'm just defending the constitution and like all this shit. And it's like, no, like, you know what? Like cops are using the excuse of law and order to arrest innocent people or even like people who have literally committed a crime but are exercising mm-hmm. their constitutional right to protest and ha- be heard right so you have this 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 problem where like people have mm-hmm. bought into yeah, like breaking perfume. of law and order when in reality like rule of law according to the critical legal studies school is is entirely a myth it's a myth because the law is created by people and we often forget that we think that law is some neutral body that exists but at the end of the day law was made by you know a senate and a house that are largely old white men who, mm-hmm. like, you know, are just mm-hmm. chilling. Because, you know, they can go home to their, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, their mansion or their, you know, mansion. wife and two kids with the white picket fence in their suburban white neighborhood. Like, right? Like, unless unless mm-hmm. you're, like, one of the outliers, right? Like, AOC, like, lives in the Bronx, is from the Bronx, is a woman of color, right? Won her seat by knocking on Mm -hmm. doors, right? This is your classic, like, you know, I won an election this way sort of, like, story. But, like, you know, we have people like that. We have people like Ilan Omar, right? We have people who, who, like, are there. We have, like, I don't know, like, people who are running for Congress that are, like, not not suburban, Ivy League, you know, like, put your Harvard degree away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah oh yeah I, I was just like yeah like i get all that i was just saying like with a lot of these anarchist types i don't I don't really know what they are like antifa anarchists whatever it's just like the white people who are smashing things and think they're helping when they're we really not like that that's just what i was talking about um a uh the washington post database of police shootings and i just wanted like this is something that i think is really interesting but i see basically nobody talking about um so they have uh, about 5,000 people who were shot by the police from um, 2015 in, in to 2020 this year. Um, and it has, yeah, yeah, this is nationwide. Um, they have, yeah, they have like a map and it's, um, yeah, it's pretty interesting. But anyway, so let's see, in 2015, oops, that's 2016. Yeah, so in 2015, there were, uh, 32 white people who were shot by the police who were unarmed. Yeah, I'm just looking at unarmed, unarmed specifically on this one. And 38 black people who were unarmed were shot. And this was, yeah, 2015 Wait, was Baltimore. This is just after like Ferguson, right? In 20... Um, 30 hmm? people were black What's 92%? out of the 32 people that got shot. 
Oh, oh, so oh. oh no no so that was just white and black people so total in total that year it uh this is like 60 75 people in total um or maybe it's 85 i can't do math in my head because i just woke up but anyway yeah that's in 2015 and 2016 that's 22 white people and 19 black people who were uh unarmed and who were killed by police in 2017 it's 31 white people and 22 black people 2018 uh, 23 white people, 17 black people, and 2019, which is the last year that they have full data, that's, oh, see, he back, that's 20 white people and 11, and 10 black people who were shot by police. So, I just think that's interesting because it does seem like, at least from that data, police shootings in general are going down, and they seem to be going down faster for black people than for white people, which I think, um, like I think hmm, um, I'm trying to say know, something. My headphones just keep going on and off. I apologize. Yeah, oh, yeah, you sound okay. <laughs> yeah, you sound like a robot now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I just think that it's interesting that like all of this, like Black Lives Matter, became oh, no. a nation. Oh, he's gone now. Became like a nationwide movement. Yeah, in 2020, when it looks like police shootings are actually going down, probably because of black lives matter movement and because of police reforms that like it was like movement was number one way smaller back then from the polls that i've seen way less popular like a majority of people disapproved of black lives matter in 2015 2016 2017 versus now it's two to one approval from what i've seen um and that like i think that in some ways um it's actually kind of counterproductive and that yeah, from what I see, people on social media, especially, they aren't looking at that data at all. Um, oh, shit. Sarapods died. Um, yeah, like, people are just basing their decisions on anecdotes, which I think in some ways can be productive in that those anecdotes, like um, like George Floyd being killed, those can be incredibly powerful because they're based on images, right? And people inherently connect more to images than to data. But I think that has also led to a lot of unnecessarily unnecessary fatalism about like America being permanently like evil and racist and white supremacist and that like there's nothing that black people or that people in general can do to stop the police from being racist right that people say that like we need to destroy the police burn the entire system down to stop black people from being killed when like I can't predict the future but it does look like the trends are moving in a positive direction and that maybe by I don't know 2030 we could have a situation where right, almost right. nobody and is being killed really by the police, whether they're black um, or white. Like, right. I think that, I think that mm-hmm. um, pessimism is valid. I think it's valid in a lot of senses. It's valid because like, you know, nothing's going to ever undo the trauma that you have suffered as an individual, that your ancestors have suffered as an individual. But I, I mm-hmm. maybe, maybe foolishly um, believe in hope. And I think like, this is something that like is, is rather different from like a lot of like critical scholars that want to say that like everything is just fucked and we need to burn everything down like yeah like you know maybe it is, like it is definitely true that we probably should mm-hmm. at some point burn everything down and maybe that day is tomorrow maybe the revolution is tomorrow but the greatest question in marxism is literally like you know <laughs> um the greatest question is when will that revolution come right so so 
when we think about like policy change yeah like slow policy change maybe it's not going to do anything whatever in the long run it's never going to work but like policy change at the local level even if it doesn't do anything in like the bigger scheme of things it's not going to like you know destroy anti-blackness as a thing what it can do is improve the lives of individual Mm -hmm. people and i yeah yeah matters it matters because those individual people are the people who you know are our neighbors are the people who we interact with are the people who we like you know for lunch with or whatever like you know like these are individuals these are real people that we should care about and even mm-hmm. if the system never changes as long as one person is like better off i think that policy change should be made and even though we can't dismantle the system of capitalism that has like you know enslaved like and like whatever some kind of like fucking mm-hmm. abstract shit right what we can do is change small policies until we dismantle say a smaller institution like policing or you know or a smaller institution like our specific local police department now no longer uses xyz thing right we should start locally like we're a student government we're talking about like how like public safety um can be improved not just in terms of like community outreach but in terms of like okay like you know what's really fucking scary the fact that like you know when Sakile and I were locked out that one time the pub safe officer you know showed up and he like had a gun in his holster and we were like wait like are they armed for lockouts like you know like what's this is unnecessary (laughs) this is like extremely uncomfortable right like you know like you know we can work to disarm public safety Mm -hmm. slowly over time or at least to allow armed public safety officers not on campus at all right like there's small things that we can do that are going to make a really big difference or yeah yeah or in general or or in general to um like disarm at least some police like you can't do all you can't disarm like all the police in a country (laughs) like america where like there are more guns than people but to like yeah disarm and disarm and demilitarize at least some of the police some of the time is better than nothing and it definitely helps oh, oh. <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah i i just wanted to yeah i wanted to talk about that because yeah like a lot of people are like really fatalistic about this and then but on the other hand also there are some people who seem to be making these protests about like like they're making them like way too big in their scale in terms of like what they say they want to accomplish and why they say like police shootings are happening because you just a lot of people talking about how like the only way that we can stop unarmed black people from being shot is if we like totally dismantle white supremacy which is like an amorphous construct and there's no policy that you can do to do that right like it's just something that people say and when you say how do you do that the only way that they can really respond is by saying like we need an anar- like an anarchist revolution basically and we need to like abolish the state right like that kind of shit and i just see like a lot of people posting that and i think that yeah it just it makes it a lot harder to accomplish those small policy changes like de-escalation training that do seem to have real effects on police shootings but that aren't like they aren't right. like, sexy yeah. like, like I, abolish I, the police yeah. a cab whatever about, like, that sexy, is right sexy change versus unsexy change you know like fucking i you know mm-hmm. mike and i are building a tool that will help people bother the fuck out of their state legislature that's that's what we're doing right and like 
Okay, yeah, but like we're basically hacking. Like, <laughs> that sounds like my thing to do. Bothering your senator, we're gonna gamify like bothering your fucking representative because you know what? They don't mm-hmm. get bothered enough, especially in like state senate where I like fucking didn't even know that it existed yeah. until I like Googled it and was like, oh, I totally forgot mm. that you were my representative. I totally forgot that you were like super pro police, and you know what? I'm gonna write you an email, <laughs> and then I was like, you know what? That, that you're gonna ignore my email. I'm gonna call your office mm-hmm. and bother you and then we were like oh wait like you know what needs to be repealed fucking 50a in new york state yeah so 50a is yeah do you want to explain like what that is a new york civil rights like statute basically it's it is the law that prevents um Mm -hmm. public release of police disciplinary records basically it says that you know if you want to access the disciplinary record you must prove in a court um, that something that is relevant that is on the police record is going to be helpful in your case. Except how do you know what's in the police record if you've never fucking seen it before, right? So yeah. this effectively prevents people from accessing the disciplinary record, and it makes it really, really difficult to actually hold Basically, what's... Yeah. Yeah, that, like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that limits the amount of people who can really sue police or like get information out of them to like people who have been brutalized by right. the police you in the first sue, place. Like, you're not going to get anywhere. Is that what I'm hearing? The evidence that you need. It's, yeah, it's going to be he said, she said, they yeah, said. Yeah, because you don't have whatever. standing. And right, you know right. what? This this legal system doesn't yeah. believe victims, doesn't believe black people, and yeah. this is a really big problem. Mm-hmm. Other states. Like, don't even do this. This is, like, a specific New York state law that, like, in my opinion, needs to be repealed, right? The ACLU... Yeah, this is just, like... Well, I don't think it's Cuomo. Like, yeah, this is just, like, Andrew Cuomo being shitty. And <laughs> Cuomo has said that, you know, if he gets the bill on his table, he'll sign it, right? The thing is, is the bill... Well, I mean, yeah, fair. The bill's just stuck... He says a lot of shit like that. ...stuck in committee for almost a year, Right, we've been talking about 50A, repealing 50A since mm. since 2018. Right, that's been the discussion. There hasn't been a conceded movement. So when Mike and I did the, mm-hmm. or when Mike did the Google search thing, where like, you know, frequency of searches, you have a small spike in 2018. You have a small spike in 2019 when there was a the New York State Assembly, and then now, as of like three days ago, when Andrew Cuomo was like, "Oh yeah, you know, I'd be down to repeal that shit," yeah, like what? skyrockets now people are mm. actually mm-hmm. realize that this is a law that's in the way people are right you know, turning their anger into policy change no that was tequila i heard tequila um yeah so something else i've seen about the protests which is interesting to me is that it seems like um the protests are often the strongest in the areas where the police by some metrics are doing a good job so for and like the opposite is also true so for example uh like that viral that viral video of um the the cop in flint the like sheriff of genesee county or whatever who he was like marching with the protesters and like it wasn't just non-violence there was like people were celebrating the, the cops and they were like marching with them and it was all happy right and that's like in my mind a lot better than people destroying shit like in grand rapids or kalamazoo which happened around the same time or um yeah or in detroit not the same thing happened but like the only people who were trying to be violent were people who weren't in the area who weren't um who weren't going to feel the consequences of destroying things in detroit because they didn't live in detroit um and then in Newark, also the same thing was happening where um, 
yeah, like Newark and Camden, there was like yeah, people were like marching with the police. The police were kneeling, whatever. There wasn't like there wasn't like police brutality against protesters. Like things were generally going well, right? Versus on the other hand, um, New York City, they like still have a lot of looting and violent protests. Or I mean, I, that's like a whole different topic. But like, there's still a lot of violence related to these protests, even if it's not the protesters doing it. Like the situation in New York is absolutely not under control, probably in large part because so many people hate the police in New York versus in Flint versus in Detroit versus in Newark or Camden. People, they like, at least aren't right, actively like, opposing the police in the way like, that they I, are in other cities, I think, right? Like, the variance and that's interesting. police departments in various mm-hmm. localities is huge, is absolutely huge. Like some police forces... Mm-hmm. are like doing pretty good at like de-escalating training they're not they're not using lethal weapons right or like stuff like that they they have significantly less shootings because their policy practices are really good but also they have they hold they hold their officers yeah. accountable and the police union doesn't have a disproportionate amount of power over citizens or over politics right like if the police union is allowed to erase the disciplinary mm-hmm. records of police officers that's basically saying we're going to let, you know, we're going to think about it as like, right. And I think about it as like fraternity, if culture, cops and punity. Right? you know, like say, say your, your frat brother, um, you know, yeah. commits an act of rape. Right. And then the brothers protect him. Those brothers are equally as responsible mm-hmm. for, you know, turning that guy out and saying, this is not someone we want in our community because this is somebody who is a threat to, to important members of our community. Yeah. And like, you know what? Women matter. Like, right. Think about like the fraternity culture. And that's basically what a police union mm-hmm. appears to be. It's, Right, it's literally a frat, right? It's like yeah, it's the fraternal and, order of like, police. Yeah, is like national union. And I'm gonna shoot this black. Guy. <laughs> right, like no, that's like fucked up. Like you know, you could tell your frat brothers to fucking read a book mm-hmm. and stop doing that shit and hold them accountable. Because like that's and this is this is like the systemic <laughs> problem with what what happens when you have mm-hmm. like effectively a union that's not even against a stronger power like what is it like hey, like i'm generally pro union because unions are like pretty good for checking against big powers like corporations and like you know the mm-hmm. government but when you have a union that's basically the government like who are you checking against the yeah people? like is that not what's happening yeah like like unions yeah, like unions aren't like an inherent good in them in themselves. They're a good or bad thing depending on the situation. And with police unions, they're almost unanimously a bad right. thing and, unless and you're a cop who's killed somebody fired, who you shouldn't right? have killed. Um, right. You should be. Yeah, fired, I mean, you should be prosecuted. Full extent of the law, second degree murder, um, whatever. You know. I, I think mm-hmm. I think that with the police, with the police yeah. union. Oh, uh, but yeah, I just um, um, you know, no, I, I, I just I, I also I also just mm-hmm. agree with Amanda. There's like no sort of like I don't know, like there's no really valid reason for the existence. The point I wanted to raise is that the police um, sort of department, especially in the United States, right? It's it's like this. It's it's literally mm-hmm. like built um, in white supremacy, right? It's built to protect white people from black people, right? Like like this whole thing of the police force is, is, you know, built on, on like years and years of institutional racism. And, and it's kind of like been uh, a clear agent of that in a sense that I think we lost Amanda. Um, It's sort of, it's been a clear um, agent of that in terms of like, you know, policing black people who've seen like stuff like stop, stop and frisk in the past. We've seen, 
um, you know, the war on drugs and the police like sort of have been agents that have enforced these like racist laws in the world, like, you know, especially against the black communities. Mm -hmm. So just like, you know, we need we need like stronger like I understand that we need like every everyone like, you know, mayors and stuff to like change, but I think it's gonna take a little more than that. It's gonna take um like restructuring the the police force like entirely and just like you know figuring out like like putting, how about putting more um, people of color in 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 the police force how about you know like restructuring the whole the whole police uh, um like like the whole reason that they exist right because it's it's just ba- like when you know when the United States moved away like like during like civil rights and stuff. There's a lot of things that changed, right? But I think I don't think that there's a lot of change that happened in 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 in, mm-hmm. in, in, in stuff like the police force. And I think that that's problematic. Like if you want to change a country, if you want to change a system, you can't use it with the same um sort of systems that used to exist before. Um, um before you can't you can't change the problem with the same mm-hmm. you know mind that you had when the problem was created. And I think that the police force is um, a major major influence of that and and so that should be restructured um or just like ban the police i don't i don't really care but like um mm-hmm. uh, um it just needs there just needs to be an admission of the problem um from the police yeah force, i just um and 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 just like an admission of guilt that these people have been mm-hmm. actively against black people from 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 like time immemorial, right? And that and that the, the, the sole reason is really to protect to protect white people mm-hmm. from black people. The reason that white people feel um justified to call the cops on the black people all the time is because they show up. It's because that has been that's built that's been built on culture, right? Like that's what white people teach their um their their kids to be to be to be afraid mm-hmm. of black people, to 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 call the cops on them. And then now we see, you know, mur- like like the murder of, of 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 Ahmed Aubrey. Now we see the murder of so many people, but the problem here is like this, really the mm-hmm. systematic um, sort of roots that 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 comprise of that are comprised of the police, um, 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 you know, the police industry and really the foundations like from which they're built. And if we have to, if we're gonna have to deal with the problem, we're gonna have to deal with it from the root. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I just wanted to say um, back to what I was saying earlier about like which which cities seem to have like number one, like adversarial protests between protesters and police. And then number two, like protests where people are like pissed enough at the police that they're actually fighting them. Right. And that like cities like Detroit and Flint don't really seem to have that versus cities like New York do. Why I think that's interesting is that cities like Detroit and Flint, if you're looking at the job that the police are supposed to do, like preventing murders, stopping people from being killed getting people to feel safe uh the people in the police in detroit and flint have objectively failed compared to the police in new york like the murder rates in detroit and flint are some of the highest in the world almost versus the murder rate in new york city is like it's pretty well, okay, far below the think, national average at this point i don't think that like, st- those statistics um, are necessary and, and that's, that's just the best mm-hmm. when we want to look at when we want to look at the performance of police so what we should be mm-hmm. looking at instead of the murder rate is the disciplinary records right so take a look at like how many how many violations of misconduct do the police have and that's like your actual of how it's going to work out in terms of like 
No, in terms mm-hmm. of like crime, in terms of like crime, well, no, no, right? We should no, but like the police in Detroit, mm-hmm. since that's published by the police, what we should be looking at, generally speaking, is like probably like what the community thinks about the police in terms of like whether or not they're able to prevent crime, right? So when we think about this in a public yeah. health sense or in the, I guess, like not take the sexy approach of like, oh, how many times have you apprehended a criminal? Like, why don't we look at like preventative measures, right? Like how many times, how many times has, you know, somebody who would have been a criminal actually decided not to commit a crime, right? Except you don't get data on that unless you actually look at it broadly. Mm-hmm. Um, no, yeah, I was just saying like, like, even the police in Detroit are definitely not immune from like police brutality. Like there was uh, like, I think a year ago, there was some nine year old girl, I think who was shot by a stray bullet fired by a cop because he was being careless with his weapon. Right. Um, like the, the police in Detroit aren't immune from police brutality at all, but it seems like people there don't care about it as much as people in New York do, which like, I don't know why that is, but I think that's just an interesting thing to look at. And I think that like, when we talk about like, yeah, like the murder rate, that just seems to be totally lost from the conversation that like the police are only bad because of the police brutality, which is obviously a bad thing. But nobody really seems to be talking about like how like how, how people how safe people feel in their communities. If anything, that's probably determined more by things like the murder rate, things like crime rates than by police brutality, just because it's far more people in a city like Detroit are killed by mm. um, like other okay, people who so live in Detroit than by like, the police, I guess right? I off of um, what Sakili was saying earlier, like, when mm-hmm. we look at, like, abolishing the police, generally, like, this isn't just some, like, radical idea. What, what we're saying isn't, okay, cool, yeah. let's just, like, fucking kick the police out of town, right? What we're saying is, what if we transition all of the resources that we use, all of the money that we spend militarizing the police, and why don't we put it back into the communities? Why don't we, why don't we put it in, like, preventative measures that, you know, like, Think mm-hmm. about like school to prison pipeline, right? What if we invested so much in public schools that we just dramatically decreased the rate of kids graduating and then like going to prison, right? Like that would probably make the community far, 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 quote unquote, like safer mm-hmm. than anything that we could do on the police side, right? When we think about this problem as an entire chain where like, you know, people are average citizens and then they commit a crime and they get arrested by the police where the police brutalize them. The problem isn't, is never going to be like, well, I guess the real problem Mm -hmm. isn't actually the person that committed the crime necessarily. The problem down, like, sorry, upstream, you have the the reason why they felt like they needed to do that or the reason why Mm -hmm. the reason, no other alternatives but to use you know your counterfeit twenty dollar bill um but to you know be out in the middle of the night because they're they work a really difficult job as an emt and like you know are getting off of their shift in the middle of the night right like stuff like that is far far more important than anything we can say about like you know what what the police can do to better prevent crime right the only things that are going to like I guess, like, move us towards a society that is going to be less racist is if the police are actively, like, working with communities and doing the community building that's going to actually be like, oh, yeah, like, you know, that person, mm-hmm. right, that person who looks suspicious is actually this person that I know from the neighborhood, and it's 2 a.m. because they just got off of their night shift and they're in a hoodie because it's fucking cold and they just happen to be black, you know, like, stuff like that is what's going to save life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's Well, I mean, sort. I mean, it sort of is, but like back to the example of Detroit. Um, in some sense, they've done 
like the things that I think a lot of people are talking about. Like the majority of police in Detroit have been black since probably the eighties. I think the chief of police has been black since about the same time. Most of the people are most of the police in Detroit, at least who are black are from Detroit. They live there. They do know the people who are around, but in a lot of ways, they're still failing the people, at least from what I can see, right? There's still a, like not maybe as much police brutality as there is in the LAPD or the NYPD, but also the murder rate in Detroit is just like super, super high. So like when I was working in Detroit for the city council, um, or uh, I forgot, I forgot, I forgot my train of thought, or, or I guess like, like it was just like the murder rate, it was almost something that divided the world of say the suburbs in Detroit, because like growing up in the suburbs, I never had to fear for my life, never had to fear for my safety, not only because of the police, but because of the people around me. Right. Like versus my coworkers, they would say like, Oh, Hey, I just got, I got jumped by people from a different school because I went to the wrong school and they didn't like that. So they beat me up and they stole my money. Like why is it the job of a cop hmm? to stop murder? Why is it the job of a cop and not the government to prevent it in the first place right like if kids are you know beating up other Mm -hmm. kids clearly there's a different problem that isn't a cop didn't stop them a cop didn't defend the kid that was a victim right it's those kids like why are those kids beating up that kid in the first place why are sort of happening and i I don't think that's the obligation of the Mm -hmm. police specifically i think that's the obligation of the state right like i mean detroit right economically ravaged since like you know you had the fall of like I'm thinking, like, what what is it? Mm-hmm. Auto industry, right? You had white flight. There's white flight. so little money. Yeah, yeah, white flight and the audio industry. And living. I think that's the reason why you you end up seeing overall crime rates being a lot higher. Mm-hmm. It's not like the ability of the police to stop them or not. It's literally that, like, you know, when you have poverty in a city it like fucks up a lot of things and doesn't give people the social support they need to actually like have alternatives Mm -hmm. right they like aren't able to get jobs aren't able to go to school graduate go to college or go to school graduate get a job Mm -hmm. there are no jobs what's the point right like there's the i think there's like that economic dimension that can't really be forgotten because without that economic dimension it's really difficult to like understand exactly happen ideally you would have a lot of social systems or a lot of like funding into like community programs and basically a social security net so that people are actually able to feel like they can have a future and then once that's in place i think that's going to be ultimately what brings the crime rate down not whether or not we touch policing well i mean i think that's important but also like when you're thinking about somebody who's about to commit a crime whether like whether they're going to be punished is probably like one of the most important things that they're thinking about in that immediate sense like right like if they're going to beat somebody up if they're going to kill somebody they're going to think about what's the chance that i'm going to get caught and in detroit that chance is less less than 20 percent for any given murder from what i've seen of the like response rates of the police like like whether they can stop the crime is totally out of the question because even for I think it's called like priority priority one calls where we have like an active shooter. It literally takes hours for anybody, any of the cops to get there because the police force is so overstretched. Right. And that means that like almost in a similar way to cops who are, who have basically immunity from the crimes that they commit, who have yeah impunity, um, who, yeah, who aren't going to be punished. The same thing happens to like criminals in Detroit because they know that there's no real chance that they're going to be caught. There's no real chance that they're going to be punished for what they're doing. So that allows them to commit crimes with impunity, essentially, right? Um, like that. That's why. I, 
Mm-hmm. Right. So, so what you're saying, if I'm understanding correctly, is that like, you know, people are committing crimes because they won't get caught. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or at least like whether you're going, you're going mean, to get caught so. is one of the most like, important doing, things so, so that you're going to be I mean, thinking about let's, let's as look a criminal, at that right? Aren't murder, right? Like, yeah, maybe if you're a serial killer, you're going to like plot your murder and be like, "All right, yeah, mm-hmm. this is how I'm going to quote unquote how to get away with murder," right? Like shit like that. But like, I look at what most crimes are in a city, right? They're typically like petty theft, stealing burglary shit like that i don't think people steal Mm -hmm. for fun unless they're like fucking art heisting you know like i think people steal out of necessity a lot of times or out of like you know like sheer like economic deprivation right (laughs) like you know you're gonna steal you're gonna steal groceries at a grocery store you're gonna use fake Mm -hmm. money you're gonna get arrested okay cool like that's i don't think you're thinking about whether or not you're gonna get caught i think you're just thinking about how you're gonna get your next meal i think you're just thinking about like I need this right now. I need this for my family. You're going to like, you know, maybe like rob Target because you desperately need XYZ thing. Like, I think desperation is probably a a far Mm -hmm. greater like motivating factor that's going to take away from people's thinking about deterrence or or I I guess like this, uh, it's going to take away from people like cognitively thinking about how like, okay, like I'm going to do this because I'm going to get away with it, right? Like, I don't think people Mm -hmm. have this conception, especially in, like, a place where the crime rate's really high. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, back to what you're saying about Target. That's what I wanted to talk about next is, like, I guess the discourse around, like, is it okay to rob Target? (laughs) Is it okay to burn it down? Like, (laughs) um. And those insurance companies can probably, like, you know, just, like, <laughs> fuck themselves. Um, <laughs> no, there's a thing, though, is, like, um, like I think that, yeah, like, we, we had this, like, conversation on Facebook, but uh, I guess, like, I've learned some things about this sense, and I guess one th- one thing that I wasn't thinking about back then is that um, with insurance, not everybody has insurance, which is, like, one thing. Like, so, for example, in Detroit, less than half the people oh have car insurance because car insurance is super expensive because if you have a car in Detroit, there's a good chance that it's going to get broken into and it's going to need to get replaced. So most people don't buy the insurance because it's super expensive, right? Property is probably the same exact way where in an area where your store is pretty likely to get broken into, insurance is going to be really expensive for that. So, like, so like for example, back when I worked on the city council um there's one time where for this like senior summit for the whoever i was working for um we had to go to eight mile which is like this is like the worst (laughs) worst part of detroit in terms of like safety and crime and we we went to kfc to pick up chicken and and no it it gets better the kfc it had bulletproof glass windows (laughs) like like in the like um like uh, for like the cash register, like the cashier, um, like the checkout line, like it, it literally had like bulletproof glass. And this was like before coronavirus or anything. Right. And like, that's something that you only see in places like that, where you have a really high chance of getting robbed. And like that store, like, because they were a national chain, because they had, um, because they were like thinking about safety from the beginning, they probably had insurance. Like um, the chance that you're going to get robbed when you have those kinds of security measures is probably lower, which makes insurance cheaper. But that's not true of everybody, right? Like in, in Minneapolis, I saw there was like somebody's sports bar that they had saved up their whole life for that got burned down, essentially. I saw like a bookstore that like it like i like it the name would be totally unrecognizable it was like uncle uncle edgar 
Uncle Edgar's science fiction books or something, and, and it just got burned down. And I feel like a lot of places like that, number one, they don't have insurance in the first place. And then number two, like the process of getting a claim for your insurance and getting the money out of the insurance company, which is now swamped with claims from all kinds of other people, is probably going to be a really slow process. You might not get the money in the end because there's also something I didn't know, which is that um, a lot of insurance policies don't actually cover civil unrest. They don't cover damage from riots, damage from looting, things like that. They only cover fi normal fire damage. Um, and like, I don't, and, and that's just like one thing that I saw. And I like, I think that everybody else who was, who was like talking about how the looting is like so great, they like, they either didn't know about that or like didn't care, which I think is kind of sad. Um, but yeah, like, like, even if we're talking about like Target, like, I think that's something else that people weren't really thinking about is that like Target affects a ton of different people besides just like the shareholders right like obviously the shareholders at target get most of the money from it but number one people use target to shop which like maybe you can say like oh that's not that important people can shop somewhere else but i think it is still a bit of a bit of a shitty thing to do and i saw like some people in minneapolis who like maybe they would have been okay if it was just target that that burned down but it was like their grocery store it was like the bus stop yeah. wasn't working anymore it was like a it bunch like, of things um, that they relied uh, on got destroyed like and because of that they were well it was definitely in new york city probably like in upper manhattan or something but like literally mm -hmm. <laughs> literally they're like white protesters looting and this black lady comes out and just fucking like rips them into you asshole She's mm -hmm. just like, what the fuck are you doing? Who the fuck? Yeah, do you she said, like, stop. Are? This bus stop is a public bus stop that people rely on to yeah. get to their jobs, like shit like that. And I think, like, you know, people need to, people need to think mm -hmm. about what they're doing. Like, I understand, like, I understand when people are like, oh yeah, like, like fuck, fuck the fuck mm -hmm. the government, fuck everything. But then there's a difference between like expression, expressing anger in a way that's like against like corporations or against like a specific party. But it's an entirely different thing to just. Mm -hmm. foundations of like your resistance as a like your resistance full stop, right it's like yeah yeah and that's like even more true when you're not actually from the community and you're destroying right. something like, that you aren't feeling the consequences of right like it like at least like in minneapolis like i could i could understand the anger of people who were there because obviously it was their their friends their relatives whatever who were getting shot right versus people who are driving in from the suburbs to just smash it like that doesn't belong to you that doesn't affect you you shouldn't have the right to do that you have no you have no moral right. justification like for that versus like, somebody who's actually from the, the community right back in the back in like maybe the late 60s right and it ended up turning into like mm -hmm. a largely economic movement as well it was like yeah let's 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 purchase from black businesses let's let's you know patron, yeah. be, be a patron of a black store of a black bank um you know you know we remember black wall street right like mm -hmm. damn fuck the white people burned it down right right but like things like that well, like, that was a bit different because that was in the 30s right part of any resistance movement in america to uplift people of color to uplift black people in particular so it's like yeah it's like this really interesting thing of like okay like you know it makes like i understand why people want to smash shit like yeah fuck the government fuck the police smash shit right like yeah you want to like mm -hmm. have that anger be catalyzed but also at the same time it's like okay like all right community activists what are they doing? What have they been doing? What can we do to help them? And I think that's probably a really cool thing that we should be thinking about. Although I, I don't know, I hesitate yeah. to condemn looting because I think there's a nuance, there's a nuance there that exists that I don't really know mm -hmm. how to 
well of like i don't know i think that yeah for for 400 years this country has like you know fucked over black people and if they're angry and they want to destroy the shit that they literally built like i think they have yeah. the right to do so yeah yeah exactly that's why i'm saying like there's a difference between like what happened in minneapolis and what happened in say like new york city where like by now it seems like the looting there isn't even like remotely related to george floyd or black lives matter it's just like like i saw somebody in a range rover like a three hundred thousand dollar car who was stealing from i don't even know what store because they were just doing it for like the thrill of it right like they didn't give a shit about black lives matter they didn't even really give a shit about what they were stealing because they weren't desperate like they had an expensive ass car they were just doing it for for the thrill and by doing that they were probably going to screw over some poor people like i don't know what this store was specifically but like in general retail workers are poor like rich people don't go to work at chipotle they don't go to work at target it's generally poor people from the communities that are getting right. um like most affected by police brutality right like they're working these low-wage retail jobs which then like when even when you destroy target you're destroying all those jobs pretty much unless target comes back like immediately which like again that's dependent on the vagaries of insurance and whether those uh whether the damage is covered and all that um and i mean even beyond that like whether target thinks there's going to be enough people in the area with enough money to buy their shit right and like that 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 goes down a lot when all the businesses in the area are destroyed because then people have less jobs in general right you know, um, that when you when you hurt a business, mm-hmm. you actually are hurting people too. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I think it's really fucked up that like the way that corporations, yeah, like, and I, I say corporations broadly, the way that companies like Target have like it and Walmart in particular have like you know weeded their way into community mm-hmm. into communities in a way that's incredibly like exploitative and perhaps like uh, wait no yeah exploitative is the right word that I'm thinking. Um, they've basically tied their profits with mm-hmm. the well-being of like you know their or like they it's like they've ha- they they're holding their workers as hostage right people are like i don't want to fuck up target mm, yeah that's a good way of putting it because my sister works at target or something like that like i don't want to fuck their shit up because i know that you know, my yeah. neighbor has to go to work in the morning and clean that shit up. And it's like, okay, that's basically you're holding your labor as hostage for, for yeah. the shit that your corporation's doing while extracting your labor of like, you know, their work, not paying them enough money to fucking pay rent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that speaks to just like, yeah, the nuance of looting that people aren't really getting to. In like yeah, social media discussions is like some people are just unequivocally unequivocally condemning it, and some people are saying like, "Oh, it's great! It's uh, it's like the revolution, revolution or whatever." So <laughs> like that's obviously right. bullshit. But no one wants but, um, to talk about yeah, like, public health. Like you know, like I don't know. I was kind of um, yeah, like I, I you know, <laughs> you right? Know. Like I met Typhoon, really great person. I love Typhoon. I met him mm. in the first. Like, okay, the first thing he was doing was literally looking at Supreme Court opinions, looking for typos. That was how I met Typhoon. Right? Like, like you know, why don't we... I, mean, I think it's, like, a, a super privileged thing to be able to sit and, like, hang out and, like, read academia shit for, like, you know, mm-hmm. hours for kicks. But, like, a lot of the work that we have to do in However order to long. transform our communities is really not sexy. It really sucks. It really looks like sitting... 
and reading all of the fucking public record like policies yeah, or even slow. reading the entire like New York civil rights like code and sitting there and being like, what's fucked up about this? This seems fine. Okay, mm-hmm. next line out of your 400 page document, right? It looks like that. It also looks like building community. It looks like volunteering your time. Mm-hmm. It looks like so many things that are so not sexy. Like, you know, it'd be really fun if we all pretend we're in Assassin's Creed 3 and like, yeah. you know, say like Viva La Revolution and like fuck shit up, right? Like, <laughs> that's, that's fun. That's what we've been like conditioned to want via media. Mm-hmm. Like, Every movie I've ever seen while I've been in America has been literally about, like, shit exploding or, like, some, like, dramatic period piece about, like, mm-hmm. revolution or about, like, some kind of, like, there's a hero's journey. There's a hero's story. Right, right. Like, yeah, yeah. And, and even know, in like, China, you know, it's, like, Wolf Warrior too. What about too. the mundane? What about, right. about, like, the people? What about, like, when back in the day we, like, you know, had a novel about a popular uprising that was about several characters, you know? Like, we're not... Uh, why? I think what frustrates me is that people <laughs> think of themselves as, like, protagonists in a story that isn't real. Like, I think... Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's- yeah yeah exactly people always think they're protagonists no matter what they do and they don't actually understand whether or not they're helping whether or not like the people affected by the cause they're protesting are agree with what they're doing which isn't always true like maybe it was true in, in Minneapolis but it definitely wasn't true in Detroit I don't think it's true in New York that like black people on the ground all agree with like the looting and stuff when like that's the way that it's presented in like so much media that like you know, like people will just like repeat uh, Martin Luther King like writing is the language of, of the unheard like ad nauseum when really that like it looks like it totally depends on the situation like in Minneapolis that's definitely true right like the people who are unheard are the people who are riding and looting because their community was being destroyed by the police right then in New York it's the total opposite and the people who are riding and looting are mostly white people who are either like anarchists who are talking about like abstract things that black people don't care about or they were just stealing things for the fun of it or right. stealing like, things because like, they yeah, wanted to yes, and they knew they, they, they weren't the going to get caught right but you know right but but rioting is also the language of the mm-hmm. incredibly or it can be no idea what what suffering communities have to go through like fucking like, yeah if i see another fucking white person in rochester yeah. fucking getting into a fight with another person at, at the goddamn protest i'm gonna lose my shit <laughs> like i think that like you know like it's already shitty enough that like uh, that like <laughs> there's they're taking up this like valuable airtime but i think it's even worse when like a black lady has to break up these this two mm-hmm. fight by screaming at them like fucking it's not about you like i don't know they should have known that it wasn't about them from the beginning <laughs> yeah 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 exactly like um like if if you're a white person and you want to support the movement like um like number one you shouldn't be like centering yourself in it because it's again like not about you right and then number two you should at least be listening to the black people who are leading it right if you're not the one leading it and like very often that's like that like it's just a totally different universe between like yeah like white people in the suburbs and white people in detroit or newark or flint or whatever like black people in in detroit from like my experience they talked like a lot about like entrepreneurship and like self-empowerment self-improvement things like that building up their community and like that's just totally absent from the discourse i see online where it's like just very pessimistic fatalistic about how black people are like eternally oppressed and can't get a leg up when like maybe that's true but that's not what i'm hearing 
that wasn't what I'm what I, what I was hearing when I was working in Detroit. It was all about we can improve our own community. We don't need to rely on the government or white people. We can do this ourselves. And it seemed like it was at least working to some extent, right? Like Detroit today is a lot better than it was in the 80s or 90s because so many people have started businesses in the center of the city, which is then like like you were talking about like economic determinants of crime. It's definitely made the area safer. Like downtown Detroit is it's not maybe as safe as Manhattan or whatever, but you can feel safe walking around there and like my coworkers would definitely talk about that like how 10 years ago um like center city the central business district in detroit it was like really unsafe and you could get mugged while you were just jogging around there but today it's a lot safer because so many people have built up businesses there they've improved the area they've made it better and like that's the total opposite of just opportunistically smashing shit because you feel like it right like it's a slow process but in the end it has to pay off it makes the it makes your community better. It makes the people in your community better versus just smashing shit. It makes it makes you feel better in the moment because you're like, oh, you're fuck you're fucking the system. But really, in the long run, yeah, you're hurting think, people and you're doing the exact opposite well. of what they so want like, to do. You know, when right? you're in a really shitty yeah. situation, like you really like, in order to continue working and to mm-hmm. continue like existing, you the narrative that it's not worth it anymore, right? Like, like, like there is this. I, I think that the mm. ability to be pessimistic as like from an outside perspective really, really erases all of the hard work that's actually happening. Right. Like I think that when, when, you know, when you're a college student, like say, say yeah. you know, you're a white college student, you're sitting on Facebook and you're like, wow, everything's so fucked. I'm so angry. Let's say you like identify as an anarchist and you're like, we need to burn the system mm. down because of what, I, like, oh my God, I'm sick of like, <laughs> I'm okay. Like I think white anarchists are not all bad. Right. But like, I think some people in particular are like from upper, like, mm-hmm. you know, upper class neighborhoods who like you know don't know what it's like to actually put your backgrounds yeah um doing like work and stuff and then you have like anarchists that are like who like volunteer for like food not bombs which is fucking awesome right like they spend most of their time doing good shit for the community like those Mm -hmm. like there are two kinds of anarchists right they're like the you know the stereotype of the bard college at at bard college (laughs) um you know your bard college like (laughs) sad white boy who's like an anarchist because he thinks it's Mm -hmm. cool and hipster right but (laughs) but like you know i don't radical chic volunteered before have you attempted to like do xyz real community things before like i think Did you know? Did you know any black people Oof. in real life at all that Oof. you didn't just meet so that you could have right. black it's friends? Like, it's like you know what else keeps people from from revolting or keeps people from actually doing doing good for the community or for for their own community? You convince them it's never going to do anything, right? You you convince mm. people that either they're close enough to whiteness where they can basically pretend to be white, or you convince them that nothing they they do is ever going to matter, and so they don't actually fight. You know what, like, I think, I think that you, you make a gamble, right? I don't know whether or not mm. hope is actually real. I don't know if the politics of hope is, like, you know, the way to go, because the politics of hope has also been used to, like, you know, fuck up people, oppress them more, and, like, manipulate them into continuing to fight when, 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 you know, covert, covert racism is still taking over the system, right? Like, what, what we... I think that when you believe in hope, you make a gamble, mm-hmm. right? It's either either I believe in hope and act as if hope exists and I'm wrong and actually hope is like fucking garbage and everything I've done is for nothing 
or it's the opposite where I'm going to live as if there is no hope. And then when I'm almost yeah. dead, I find out that I could have made a difference. I don't know like what people are going to regret more. I think, but I think for a lot of people, if you frame it like this, they're going to definitely regret mm. not thinking that there is hope. Right. I'm not saying that it's not legitimate to not have hope. I think that everyone has the right to be like, you know what? No, I'm going to take care of myself. Fuck the system. Fuck this like activism shit. I don't need to do this because like, I don't need to do this because like, you know what? I've been fucked over by the system the entire <laughs> fucking time and it's never changed. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to do what I fucking want. Like that in of itself yeah. existence. That is like what it is to be like, I guess like that's yeah. one version of what it is to be liberated. Like when we think of like Afro-pessimism, right? It's not about like, oh, you know, everything's just like going to be shit. It's about like, you know mm -hmm. what? Like everything's like, everything's going to be shit, but you know what? I am my own damn person and I'm going to do what I believe is like what I want to do. Fuck everything else. And like, that's, that's one way to look at cynicism and pessimism is like an extreme version or like mm -hmm. not even an extreme version, like a version of self-liberation. But that's like, you know, not accessible to like, I don't know. I, I don't think it, okay. it's like really hard to be like, like a Most white people. bard student who grew up in an upper class neighborhood and like is an anarchist to like, actually know. I mean, like, I don't think anyone except for black people are going to actually know what it feels like to be black. So it's like, okay, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. I guess uh, moving to something else before we uh, sign off, what do we think about um, like the strategy of the movement like so far and how that relates to like whether or not it can succeed or I guess like how much it can succeed in realizing its goals, which I mean, that's a whole another thing is like, what, what are the goals of the movement? I guess like a lot of that stuff is like really unclear to me, which I think can be detrimental to success in the future, right? Like if you want your protest movement to succeed, you need to have strong organization you need to have like clearly defined goals that can be achieved so that people will fight for them um you need to have strategy and tactics so that you can number one like boost your pub boost public opinion in your favor of course and then also that you can keep your keep your cause like in the news right so that means um that you have to be able to dominate number one the airwaves and then number two the streets you have to be able to hold streets for as long as possible so that people still pay attention to your movement and that you're yeah. not just crushed under the boot of the cops or at this point the army and national guard right um yeah and i think that um like that in my opinion is like what people should be thinking about versus what i what i see so far if anything makes me pessimistic because it seems to be mostly things on social media that don't really have any consequences in the broader world like um the black square stuff i think is a good example of this like uh it it like online at least it took like a whole day of arguing and people yelling, yelling at each other to get to a solution where like oh maybe you post your black square but you post like donation links and you post information about black lives matter or whatever and you don't just post the hashtag and fuck things up oh yeah yeah that's the other thing i wanted to talk about was like um like people like i i was kind of shocked when i heard that people were using the hashtag like black lives matter is like a main space for organizing and like spreading information when like that's not even private let alone encrypted uh like for one and like that's your way of communicating on a national level like that doesn't seem like a good idea to me um 
then number two was that yeah like people were like fighting over this for a whole day and i saw very little about like making sure that protesters are able to essentially stand up to the police right like like hong kong i think is a great model of this where you have like number one like broad yeah yeah yeah, shout out (laughs) (laughs) nothing happened on june 4th Yeah, yeah. So where where you have like number one, like yeah, broad public support, yeah. which it seems like we do have from the polls I've seen. Morning consult was like 80 percent of Americans support black, or maybe they don't support Black Lives Matter. That's you a different thing, but they support anything, the protests, or like they, they understand American the anger behind the protests, protests. Like variations on that <laughs> I question. It's like the vibe that I sort of get from most people when they talk about protesting in general mm-hmm. or rioting in general or whatever. Like I don't know. Like when people were like, "Yeah, like I'm gonna join in yeah. solidarity with Hong Kong," and it's like you don't even know what the fuck like our government looks like. <laughs> It's like a bunch of Americans being like, yeah, fuck the government. (laughs) All right. You know what? You know what? Yeah. I don't know if you know why. Like, I don't know if you know why. Like, like we'll take your support, but. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) But yeah, I was, yeah, I was just saying like. Yeah, like number one, you need broad public support because that gets you access to resources, that gets you access to shelter, that gets you access to security from the state. Um, and of course, it gets you, like, at least in a democracy, the ability to get your policies passed. So, like, number one is like public support. That's the most important. Then, number two, like, in terms of controlling the streets, you have to be able to fight the police in a real way, hold, hold your ground, make sure that people can't just look away and see people scatter yeah, you like rats use your, you know, from the your, cops who are like, throwing flashbangs and tear gas at them, right? Hong Kong, yeah. One time I got gas, but like, that was like because I was walking from work. Yeah. Um, so, so basically what they've been doing, right, I think you've probably seen it on, like, the New York yeah. Times or even, like, on, like, <laughs> NYT video or whatever. But basically, like, you know, flashbangs, what are they? Mm-hmm. It's, it's an incendiary, incendiary grenade, basically. And what it's doing is it's, it's vaporizing a powder with the combustion. Yeah. So, so the simple solution is just put that combustion out. You pour water on it. You pour um, your mm-hmm. antacid solution on it. Uh, but before you... Uh... Oh, I mean for gas. I don't. I don't think that works in a flashbang grenade, though. Um, that's like that's like one explosion and that's it. But like, okay, yeah. Gas, tear yeah. gas, no problem. Stick a traffic cone over it so that the gas yeah. <laughs> escape and get all over you. Traffic cone to put it out, mm-hmm. or pick up the thing with it with it. Your America flag, like oven mitt, whatever. Mm-hmm. Shove it into. No, 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 no. Shove it into a red <laughs> so even if you throw, throw it back at the cops, cops, that's gonna get all over you and all over the place. Right. And they, they have like full gear, they have gas mm-hmm. masks and riot shields, whatever. What you want to do is shove it into like a giant red solo cup or yeah. something. Right? Like I feel like that's like the most like frat boy, like, you know, if you want to be a cup hero for... and you're a fraternity brother, now's your chance to wear your America shorts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but yeah like yeah like hong kong i think is a great model of that because yeah like number one they have tactics like that figured out and everybody knows about them everybody knows how to deal, deal with tear gas like that then also they're like very highly organized which means that oh, yeah. they have like not sexy things like logistics figured out right like i saw maybe one link i saw like one thing on instagram from some girl about how we should fundraise for gas masks 
and like I see a ton of things about bail and like bail is important but if anything for, like for the long term success of your movement I think that you need to you need right. to gas masks a lot more because that lets you hold your ground against the police right it means that you can like it, it's like it's like in a video game when you have like your HP and like tear gas and like gas masks and like full face respirators right, and body right, armor right. things like that they increase your HP they mean that you can preserve for longer against the police that you aren't just turned away yeah, by tear gas like, sent, that you can take a few rubber bullets without like dying <laughs> um, and one of the things that's just like for protesters you click it and like there are a mm-hmm. bunch of things from hong kong that i think are really great it's like you know how to deal with tear gas from protesters in hong kong how hong kong protesters have dealt with mm-hmm. cop cars or whatever like i i remember like that photo that went viral like several like last year during oh wait shit that was last year anti-extradition was literally a year ago that's so wild it feels like yesterday Mm -hmm. so like yeah no but like you know we would do Mm -hmm. um what are they called in english uh they're like construction things bricks bricks are they bricks like okay okay look kids the bricks Bricks. (laughs) that should be the title that's gonna be the t- no. Actually, don't make this attempt. So, so, so the so the bricks, right? Like, the <laughs> okay, bricks, okay. You know. All right. You, yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. Bricks and suddenly cop cars can't even enter the area. Right, like shit, like that. Like you're absolutely right in that. Like protesters, um, yeah, should be organized. They should figure out like exactly what their goals are. This needs to be a unified movement. But I hesitate to say that on social media because, like. Mm-hmm want to speak for people that are just angry and want to loot shit like i don't want to speak for people that are not my people necessarily but i think that you're right in your general Mm -hmm. observation and that like in order for anything any movement to succeed and be heard it needs to be continuous right now what's Mm -hmm. happening is that is that is that we have hundreds of thousands of people protesting in america right but the thing is is that instead of being instead of being organized they're they're continuing the movement Mm -hmm. just with sheer numbers you can arrest 100 people right you can arrest a thousand people there's still going to be more people the difference between america and hong kong is that you know in hong kong we got like yeah maybe we got like you know uh uh, like say like three million people that support it that support like you know anti-extradition right sure how many of those people are going to be on the streets you know we started with like a hundred thousand people or something or we started with 500 who knows Right. We started with, and then as we keep going, as the protests get more that violent, millions. And violent, the reason why Hong Kong protesters have like geared up is because they don't have the numbers, mm-hmm. right? Like, <coughs> it's a group of maybe like 500 college students hold yeah. up at CUH, or sorry, hold up at like HKU, right? That's. That's a lot different from America, where we have millions and millions of people who yeah. support this movement. Where even if they're not organized, they're gonna be able to keep going because they have the numbers like maybe it's like not ideal because more people like okay people people are fucking saying that like no one in the hong kong protest died or got arrested fuck them they're wrong mm-hmm. right like that's like fucking stupid like hundreds of people got arrested got arrested <laughs> right thousands right you you have so many arrests you have so many deaths thousands like, like when I was in Hong Kong and interning, it fucking, like, was a war zone. I would walk outside of my building, and I'd be like, ah, yeah, should have brought a gas mask, because now I have to walk through this club, because yeah. there's only fucking, like, you know, the road. So I, like, was literally right next to, my <laughs> office was next to the government building, so literally, they're all there. They're all fucking, like, 
doing their shit. Like, we got up of work yeah. early this one day so we could avoid the protests. But, like, I remember being like, you know what? No, I get paid by the hour. I'm I'm working. You still got hit by tear gas. Yes. like, yeah, so I can, like, show up and be like, okay, you know, what, is it, what does it look like? <laughs> you know, what does it look like on the ground, really? And it's like, okay, cool. Like, they're just not as many people in Hong Kong. Like, mm-hmm. literally, we're a tiny island than in the whole of America. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like, mm, I mean, on one hand, yeah, America is just on a bigger scale, but, um, God, what was I going to say? Or I think that America's scale, if anything, makes it a lot harder to have the kind of impact that the Hong Kong protesters did using the tactics that we're using. So, like, for example, in the early days of, like, Minneapolis, um, and in the early days of New York, Atlanta, Texas, um, like, Dallas and Houston, L.A., yeah, yeah. I mean, the early days, as in that was when the government didn't have control. That was when this was a real news story, when power was being contested, essentially, on the streets, where people were, like, they were beating the cops, essentially, especially in Minneapolis. That was, like, the biggest um, su- success story, I guess you can say, in, like, some respects. I, I like, or, or, like, in the respect of that was what was going to get the most media attention because the cops just totally lost control, right? And even the National Guard weren't able to restore control until they had every national guard deployed now like then the problem becomes what happens after the national guard is that the u.s can just de- deploy the army right and it can de- if like minneapolis got worse than it even was the army can be deployed to minneapolis then it can be deployed to new york city then it can be deployed to atlanta and you're just snuffing out the protests one by one right and you can't yeah. really do that in hong kong in the same way um like in terms of stretching the government's resources um so like uh yeah in terms of the tactics that the movement is using now with just like masses of people that can work like it was working in minneapolis it was working in those other cities but number one it has a time limit because of coronavirus and in a week or a week and a half people are going to have to stop going out right so we're going to lose a lot smaller so you're talking about like how because the risk of being infected like even and then especially now is like trump's like mobilizing military forces against yeah um or i mean that, that's a bit different i was just saying with that like like you need to have national coordination and you need to stretch the federal government's resources across the board and you can't just do it in one or two cities because or one or two cities at a time because those cities can be um like they can be contained by sending in military police or sending in regular army and they can restore order and then they can move to different cities. And over time, your movement just gets totally snuffed out versus if you're stretching the resources of the government continuously, like the people in Hong Kong were doing when they had those frontliner protesters who were actually able to fight the police, who were able to hold their ground against tear gas, against rubber bullets. That kind of thing is going to be a lot more effective in the, in the long run. Number one, because again, it doesn't rely on crowds. So it's not as vulnerable to coronavirus. I guess you can even oh, yeah. see like, I mean, gas masks they probably block coronavirus and, like, and block people from getting infected in the first it's place probably, um it, you know it probably is like already like n n95 like pro- although although i'm <laughs> gonna block coronavirus that should not be taken as medical advice yeah um 
Yeah, but yeah, and then also like even without coronavirus though, if you're just relying on a mass movement of people who are like peacefully protesting, like that's fine. But that also probably has a time limit just because people lose interest. Like the media was covering this stuff continuously in the early days because again, like power was being contested, the police didn't have power. Um, like so people cared about it. Um, yeah, people cared about the looting, like all that. People don't care about as much about peaceful protests in the first place. So as the media attention goes down, you're probably gonna have less and less protests over time because people get bored people want to go back to their normal lives um like they want to spend their time in other ways and and then also like if they don't see results then they're going to lose interest just naturally right so if you're relying on mass protests to get attention that's not a sustainable strategy in the long run even without coronavirus which puts pretty much a hard time cap on it um versus yeah like in hong kong like there like until coronavirus there was no stopping the protesters like there was nothing that was gonna make people go back home number one of course because people cared enough about it that they were just gonna go through hell and high water and fight for it but then also because they weren't they weren't relying yeah. on like masses of people by the end they were relying on a core group of hardliners who were gonna fight um no matter if they were uh like losing interest or had other things in their um, life and that's just not true of mass movements okay wait wait, wait. um so, what i think we're, we're almost at two hours that, like, the scope of the protests in america can differ by mm -hmm. a huge margin in hong kong right it, it, it's about a specific policy change and basically it was like we're not going to move until that bill is destroyed mm -hmm. that bill is with not just withdrawn but never right you got five demands right and that's that's it's, yeah. it's a lot more specific yeah five demands it's a lot, like in terms of people and like differences in like what people want it's very much narrow like we like everyone who supported anti-extradition mm -hmm. wants the five demands or at least some variation of the five demands where it's like really really narrow here you have a lot of different different like people who are who are who are doing things for a lot of yeah. different reasons and this variety of reasons makes it a lot more difficult to have what you're saying a nationally coordinated attack mm -hmm. and i don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing because i think that people want different things and that's going to have yeah. to be really important right like in rochester there were demands that were released in rochester by a protest um group that was like mm, in front true. of the locust club which is the police union haha <laughs> kind of kind of ironic that the police are locusts yeah fucking destroying the crops and shit yeah the cops um, locusts right but like yeah so like you know their demands were they want rpd <laughs> out of the rochester city school district they just they fucking want them out they want they want money that's going to the police to be put into communities they want like i can pull out pull up that mm -hmm. list of demands right like you know that's pretty specific and that's pretty specific or like really specific to rochester like I, yeah and it's like okay cool like these are things that we can get behind that doesn't need yeah. to evolve into effectively what Hong Kong has to do out of necessity. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I guess like, but then of course that gets to be almost counterproductive when like, um, those demands or like what people want just becomes so different based on who they are and like what we were talking about earlier with like people who are nonviolent who want to build up their communities versus like the anarchists who are just like latching onto the movement and destroying shit and like yeah like that makes it hard to agree on stuff but I think it it's possible at least like Hong Kong like uh, like well over half the people there agree with five demands right and that's because yeah because of necessity because that's the only way that they can win and I think that like it would be it would be a good thing if like americans had the same mentality right that we want to have zero unarmed people shot by police like that's a clear demand 
that maybe that can't be realized immediately, but I think that would be something that everybody could get behind if people could just like decide to do that and not do their own things for their own purposes, their own narcissism, all of that, right? Um, and I guess that would be like a criticism of the movement that I have is that, yeah, like it's almost so big right. that people like people aren't able to agree, agree on their demands I think, at all. I think this right? is like one because of those they don't want the same things. Like, uh, yeah, like I think yeah, pretty much. Let this be a let this be a lesson, right? What we're seeing now is what we can do with hundreds of thousands of disorganized like mm-hmm. movements scattered around this country imagine what we could do if all of these people mobilized Mm -hmm. for a cause right you literally have in your hands i feel like this is treasonous i don't know you literally have in your hands the recipe for a successful like revolt like you could (laughs) overthrow the government if you wanted to yeah i mean we were they were kind of close at some points like, I thought that the government might right. fall because so, it so wasn't able to we, get control in Minneapolis, New York, like, all those I don't cities. Know. I, don't, I, like, yeah. I, think, I think there's this completely separate debate about whether or not we should overthrow the government. But I think, I think, I think right now it's really, really clear that mm. the people always have the ability to. The people <laughs> are willing and able to. And the riots here have shown us that, like, if the government were to turn tyrannical and evil again, as, you know, I mean, low-key it already is, right? But, like, but like in mm-hmm. right if they start killing civilians if the military if they decided to shoot protesters we have like... power to rise up um and that's really important to, to know is that we can never discredit protesters mm-hmm. um we can like we should never discredit the people as as corporations want us to as the government wants us to like there is so much power in people and that's like really cool even mm-hmm. though, like, you know, like, falling apart everywhere and, like, you know, not much has changed. I guess, like, the, the demands was, like, justice for justice yeah. for Floyd, justice for, um, you know, Breonna Taylor, right? Like, yeah, and they don't want, we don't just want yeah. to charge with manslaughter. It should be second Charging the officers. Right, or, or I don't remember which one is which, but the one where it's, like, you killed them mm-hmm. on purpose and you should be punished for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah, that's second degree. Um, yeah, I guess that is true that like yeah, that justice I maybe it would have been served been eventually. Served it definitely wouldn't like have been served as quickly as it was with the protests. And and no like that that would yeah. or governments, state prosecutors have done nothing. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I'm just saying, like, we don't know the 